Hello, and thank you so much for joining our online service. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Pastor Jim Bobst. I'm one of the pastors here at the Regina Apostolic Church. I was actually away on sabbatical for about five months, and this is my first time preaching since I have returned. It feels a little strange for me, but I am so thrilled to be back. So much has happened uh, in our life and in the life of the church while I was away, including some milestones in our own family. Our son Jordan and daughter-in-law Emma announced that she's pregnant and having a child in June. I have to confess to you, it took me a few moments to come to grips with the fact that I'm going to be a grandfather. It's, It's still a bit unbelievable when I say it out loud. Jordan was born when I was 24 and now he's 25, so I guess that's how you end up as a grandfather by 49. Obviously, we are very, very excited about that. Our daughter, Hannah, finished her undergrad degree at the University of Regina in December as well and immediately went out and started a career in her field of study. We're looking forward to her convocation in June. She got her Bachelor of Science in Actuarial Science. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. I don't really know half the time either. You can just Google it like I have to. I get tongue-tied when somebody asks me and I need to uh, explain what it is that she does. But at any rate, we're very excited that she made it to the end of her degree. So obviously, June will be a very big month in our lives. I want to say to you as a church, thank you so much. Chantelle and I have felt so much love and care as we've returned to church, including by some of you that are new to our church that we're meeting for the very first time. I was invited by Joanne Puller, who leads our preschool ministry, to visit her classroom, where I got to meet some of the three- and four-year-olds that she teaches. And then Carolyn Ward and the Next Gen team invited me to a Pastors and Popcorn Night, where I was able to meet so many more children that come to our midweek programming. About a week later, I was actually in the foyer here at the church, and I heard this sweet little girl's voice yell out across the crowd, Hi, Pastor Jim! This beautiful little four-year-old girl, she had remembered me from my visit to her classroom. She and her family have only been attending our church since December, and meeting her got me an invitation to meet her baby sister and her parents as well. Moments like those are a perfect reminder to me why I left the financial services industry after 25 years and followed the call of God into full-time pastoral ministry. So to that little girl and to everyone else who's been so gracious, thank you very much for the kindness and the care that you've extended to us as I've returned. To Pastor Larry and to members of the Board of Elders and, and Directors team who helped arrange and guide my sabbatical, thank you very much as well. I deeply appreciated the freedom and flexibility that time away provided. It allowed me the space to discern from God not only what he had for me during that sabbatical season, but also for the next season of my life. And I really believe that the Lord spoke things into my heart that are not only applicable for me, but that are applicable across the body of Christ as well that I want to share with you today. You know, when I left, I had a few profound questions that I needed to process through with the Lord. But even before I could get down to that level of processing, I had to settle a fundamental issue in my heart. I had begun to wonder if I really knew what the sound of God's voice sounded like anymore. Did I still feel comfortable beyond a reasonable doubt that I knew what the leading of the Holy Spirit feels like? As I mentioned, I'm, I'm 49, and I've been a Christian for probably 45 of those years. And over time, it's easy to go on autopilot and assume that everything that we believe or that I had believed was perfectly aligned with God's leading. But some circumstances in recent years forced me to question, as a sheep, 
Do I really know the shepherd's voice? The Bible tells us that, of course. It promises that as sheep, we will know the shepherd's voice. But my confidence in that truth had been rattled just a bit. You see, when I exited that 25-year career to move into pastoral ministry full-time, the primary driving reason why I did it was because of a clear sense of the call of God. I didn't grow up dreaming to be a pastor. I did not take a traditional route to get me standing before you here today. It is an unlikely path that led me here. It was only because of an undeniable call of God that steered me in this direction. God spoke in a variety of ways through an array of trusted Christian leaders in my life, along with several confirming signs and a deep sense of peace from the Holy Spirit that he had opened a door into ministry that I needed to walk through. But my sense of God's leading had been shaken a bit, and it caused me to wonder, Lord, do I actually know what your voice sounds like? Maybe I'm not really supposed to be here standing in front of you. Maybe Chantal and I should be on a beach somewhere and not in pastoral ministry. Wherever it was, though, the deepest desire of my heart was to be in the place where God wants me to be. To contemplate where God is calling, though, it is predicated on a confidence that we'd be able to discern with all of the thoughts and the ideas that rattle around in our brains and in our hearts, which of them are God speaking. And not to sound overdramatic, but if I'm unable to confidently sense the leading of God, you probably don't want me preaching or teaching because who knows where I would lead you. Obedience to the call of God requires a confidence in his leading. And the Christian life hinges on obedience. It is the critical ingredient to a fruitful life. In the final analysis of our lives, it's not so much what we accomplish. It's did we accomplish what the Father, the Master, instructed? You know, I have a very close friend who was a missionary for over 20 years in a place where Christian missionaries had been killed or martyred for their faith. As he considered his life's work, he had to ask, Lord, did you bring me here to this country to die for the gospel? because it would have been very easy in that place to be martyred for his faith. He could have just stood out on a hostile street corner and started preaching the gospel. In fact, just before they arrived in that country, another missionary had done that and ended up being killed for their faith. But if God was calling this friend of mine to preach covertly or maybe lead an underground church for a lifetime, then being killed on a street corner for his faith was not the path of obedience. So with all of those minor questions, if you will, rattling around in my heart and my mind as I started my sabbatical, I honestly didn't know whether I'd be standing back at this pulpit with you again here today. But what I did determine right away was that by the time my sabbatical period ended, that I wanted to be a healthier version of myself than I was at the beginning. Healthier in every way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and relationally. In the midst of wrestling with all of those big questions, I understood that the only thing that I could really control was me, and the path to greater understanding and health ran through my daily decisions. I started with some obvious things. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, pick the low-hanging fruit. That's what I did, to pick those easy things first. 
COVID had interrupted some, I'm sure just like you, interrupted some of my healthy routines in my life. Before the pandemic, I was actually a, a member of the, the YMCA, and the downtown location was the one that I would typically uh, go to. And you would usually find me most days down there by 6.30 in the morning. But COVID, along with some issues at the YMCA, caused it to be shut down, and it has not yet reopened. I believe that that location is shut down for good. Through the pandemic, I, I continued to run. If you don't know me, I'm a bit of a runner, uh, running at home and lifting a few weights, but I knew that my overall health had suffered a bit. On day one of the sabbatical, I, I decided, listen, I'm going to visit three or four gyms and I'm going to pick one, and I did, and I joined it immediately. I've been back most days since and found my, my stride again. Our physical health is so measurable, isn't it? We can just jump on the scale and we can look over time. What is it saying? The scale never lies. Or we can go to our doctor and, you know, we can get our cholesterol checked. What did it say six months ago and what does it say today? Or do I have the energy to accomplish everything I feel called to do? Those things are so measurable. You know, for me, running has always been one of those places where I can, it's almost like I can shut my brain off. And it was always a spot where I could hear or sense God speaking to me. There was many of the distractions would fall away. I wouldn't, you know, run with a group of people or I wouldn't uh, exercise with a group of people. It was just me. And I could often hear God speaking to me as I caught my stride in a run. I would often tell people if I ever wanted to find God, I just needed to head out onto the running path and I could always find him there. I have this picture in my mind of, of the Lord just sitting out on a bench, you know, reading a newspaper somewhere, just waiting for me to come running by him where he could say, I've been waiting for you. Where have you been? It's like the story in the Bible of 12-year-old Jesus who was separated from Mary and Joseph on a journey when they were in a large crowd of people. They both thought the other had him until they saw each other again. And you can almost imagine them saying, well, you have Jesus, don't you? Mary would have said that to Joseph and Joseph would have said back, no, I, I thought you had him. And there would have been this moment of dread when they realized neither of them had him and they didn't know where he was. You know, it's bad enough for us as parents when we lose track of our kids at the store for a couple of moments, but can you imagine? This was Jesus you know, you had one job and what did you do? You've lost God. Where is Jesus? But when you read through that story, what did they do? They went back to the last place they saw him and three days later, again, as parents, can you imagine losing track of your child for three days? But three days later, they found him in the temple court with the teachers. It's a good life lesson for all of us. If you feel like you've lost God, go back to the last place you saw him. I trust that you have a spot like that in your life as well, where when it feels like the world is, is crowding in on your thoughts and you begin to feel overwhelmed and there's not a, a moment where you can feel like you can step back and just be quiet before the Lord. The, the Bible speaks of, of the secret place where you would go alone and pray. If you don't have a spot like that, can I encourage you to find one? If not, if you don't have one, you could be like me and buy a pair of runners. I promise you'll be able to find the Lord out on the running path. So as I, on my sabbatical, as I racked up the kilometers running, I was investing my time and energy, not just into tuning up my physical health, 
but also recalibrating my sense of God's presence and my confidence to hear his voice. The investment in the beginning included me doing most of the talking in the beginning. I had a few critical questions for the Lord, like, you know, have I been missing your leading recently? Am I on the wrong path? Like this is a moment for you to recalibrate me back to Lord, what are you saying for me to be doing? I realized pretty early in that process that I had a very long list of items where I knew the favor and the blessing and the intervention of God in my life and in my family's life as well. I had seen him intervene in the lives of those who were closest to me. There was lots of evidence of God's leading and his blessing. But how many of you know, when there's a couple of things on your list that are puzzling, or you just don't exactly know why things worked out the way that they did, it can distract you from the list of evidence of his presence. In the middle of this journey, I I had a few trusted people in my life. I trust that you have some people who are close confidants with you, who you're willing to share your innermost thoughts and to share life with that person. I had a couple of people like that who could help me navigate these moments, people who I could be blunt and honest with. I actually tracked down uh, a Christian counselor as well, somebody who was... Uh, external from everything that I had been going through recently and who I could just say things to and just allow honest feedback to come. And of course, I had my, my closest confidant in my, wife, who, er, in my wife, Chantel, who, let's be honest, she's really the, the brains of this whole operation. I give you that window into my heart because I really want you to see I care deeply about my relationship with God and being obedient to his leading into the future Even amidst uncertainty and a few unanswered questions, it is critically important to me that I am obedient to his calling. God has a purpose planned for each of us, and it's worth the investment of everything we have, all that we are, to be confident that we are aligned with his heart. An investment into the kingdom of God will produce a kingdom return, the only returns that will last for eternity. Jesus taught this principle to his followers in a parable that's recorded in two places in the gospel. First in Matthew chapter 25 and again in Luke chapter 19. It's the parable of the talents, also known as the parable of the three servants. I'll use the Matthew 25 account and we'll pick up Jesus speaking in verse 14. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with the five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. You know, there's a part of this parable that is forward-looking. It speaks to our eternal destination and whether we will take the measure of faith and truth that has been revealed to us and respond by accepting Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Immediately preceding the verses in Matthew 25 was another parable, the parable of the ten bridesmaids, or if you'd rather, the King James Version, the parable of the ten virgins. At the end of it was an instruction to watch and pray for the return of the bridegroom, pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ, to be prepared in spite of us not knowing the hour or the day of his return. The most critical thing to be done to prepare for his return is to accept Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. Then his return will be a moment of great joy and not dread. To watch and pray then doesn't mean idleness, but faithfully discharging the responsibilities we've been given. The wise use of the gifts and talents entrusted to us then results in greater opportunities. Their neglect results not only in the loss of further opportunities, but also of that with which we were entrusted in the first place. Above all, it is critical to remember that Jesus is the treasure. If we don't genuinely accept his free offer of salvation, we forfeit the gift of God, which is eternal life with him. Once we do accept him and become Christians, there is an expectation to continue to make use of his gifts and talents, which are in us after we become believers, to produce kingdom returns. If we apathetically neglect the treasure given to us by God, we miss out on the rewarding life in him that's available. God has deposited his treasure within us, and he has left you and I in control of our choices. Invest it or bury it. The decisions that we make today write the testimonies that we'll share tomorrow. When each of us passes from this life and we stand before the Lord, our entrance into heaven is secure once we've made a genuine confession of faith in Jesus. But there will be a moment to measure our level of obedience to the voice of the Spirit of God while we've lived on this earth. We will need to answer the question from the master like the three servants did. What did you do with my treasure that I gave to you? 
1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 13, says, But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. In the context of these verses, as you and I as Christians, we are the builders in this scenario. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Everything that we have belongs to the master. It's just on loan to us. There will be a day of accountability where we will be asked, did you build with that treasure? Did we invest those treasures into advancing the kingdom of God? Or did I take the actions in line with the instructions of the master or did fear or disappointment derail me? You know, an instructive moment of this principle happened after the resurrection of Jesus. During the 40 days after he suffered and died and, and appeared to the apostles, he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Then he exited the planet as the disciples stood and watched him ascend up into heaven. Acts 1, beginning in verse 10 says, As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, those are angels, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. You know, those verses, they might seem a little bit harsh. You can imagine the disciples, they've, they've just watched Jesus float up to heaven and immediately, it seems, two angels are there scolding them for looking up. I may have been tempted. I have a, a uh, tendency to maybe talk back once in a while. I may have been tempted to talk back in that moment. You know, I might have said, you know, can you give me a minute here? I've just witnessed something miraculous. Can I have a moment? But these angels were essentially saying, it's time to get to work. Go and do what Jesus told you to do. Be obedient. Go into all the world and make disciples. Clearly, these ones that were standing, staring into heaven, they still would have had a few unanswered questions about what they had seen over the previous month. But it was a moment of decision for them. Either go and invest your lives into doing what Jesus told you to do, or just keep standing there forever and essentially bury your treasure. Go with the measure of understanding that you have and get more of your questions answered as you go. Obedience requires action. The payment for the kingdom coming was paid completely at the cross of Calvary. Nothing that we do adds to the payment Jesus made at the cross, but as a gift of love, he shares his treasure with us to distribute. The effects and benefits of the kingdom are rolled out by the Holy Spirit through the obedience of believers until the day of the second coming of Jesus when the full establishment of his kingdom will unfold. In this interim period that we currently live in between his first and his second coming, as we watch and pray for his return, we're meant to invest the power of God that resides in each of us into the brokenness we see around us every day in this world. Being a good steward of what we've been given positions us to receive more through the favor of God, and it is his favor that is required for us to do the impossible. 
I'm sure like me, you can look back over your life and you have moments where there are unanswered questions about why things worked out the way that they did. Maybe you prayed for someone to be healed and they weren't, or you were deeply disappointed in someone or something. I am no different. Those moments of disappointment are a fork in the road. They can either be an exit into bitterness and apathy, or by God's grace, they can be invested to produce a return in the kingdom. It starts with us saying, Lord, I don't understand but I trust you and I'm going to give you this situation. Yes, we celebrate and give God praise when our prayers are answered, but investing even our painful experiences can produce a kingdom return. I still have outstanding questions with the Lord, some of which I believe he'll answer while I'm alive. Some I'm sure I'll take a a few of them with me to heaven and by then I'm sure I, I won't care about the answer anymore when I'm standing in his presence. And in the meantime, I will take all of the treasure he has deposited in me and bring it to bear on this next season of life. You know, as we come to a close today, I want you to respond to the prompting that I know the Holy Spirit would be bringing to your heart as he did to mine. It's not too late to commit to the master, to invest your life into his service. Take a moment, even right now, just to close your eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Envision that treasure that God has deposited in you and ask, Holy Spirit, lead me. Show me how to invest myself and my experiences. Forgive me, Lord, where I've been burying my talent. Let's give God our yes today. Even as you continue to pray after we're done here today, I really believe that God's going to continue to speak into the deep places of your your heart and unearth things maybe where there have been spots where you have not been living up to that high call of God. This is a moment to recalibrate with him. And by the way, I want you to know, I feel so settled now that I know again what the leading of the voice of God sounds like and feels like. And his voice sounds the way it has always sounded to me through my whole life. You should be confident that we have a good father who will make himself known to us. I have a deep sense of peace about that. And that's why I confidently stand in front of you here again today, because I really believe God called me back to be here. We all have promises from God like that. We don't need to be anxious. We can make our requests known to God with thanksgiving. And then he doesn't always promise us an answer in the timeline we'd want to get it, but he does promise a peace that surpasses understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds. Let's just pray as we close. Lord, I am so thankful for your goodness, for your great gifts, first and foremost, of love. God, that led us to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. And Lord, if there's anybody who is uncertain about that decision, I'm thankful that your word says it is so easy that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. And God, then we are adopted as sons and daughters. We are your sheep. And so God, I just pray for each one. God, as they continue to process this with you, I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, that you will lead them and guide them into all truth and that you will bring a measure of breakthrough, God, that will come today that can be invested into this next season of life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. And uh, when you come back to a service in person, I would love to be able to say hello to you. So God bless and we'll see you again soon.